0: Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Currently, we are in a series titled, It's Complicated, where we find biblical truth to give hope for the single, dating, and married. Welcome to the chapel online and today we're going to continue on a series called it's complicated walking through marriage relationships dating sexuality and just hearing those topics you're like oh yeah those are complicated but today we're not going to talk about marriage really not going to talk about dating not going to talk about anything like that we're actually going to talk about singleness which at first can seem kind of simple, but when it comes down to it, it's actually pretty complicated. So why in the middle of a series about sexuality and about marriage and about dating, why will we talk about singles? Well, in our database alone at the chapel, and this is just people we know about, we have over 700 of our members and regular tenders that are Singles, And that's not including children or anyone under the age of 18. Not to mention a large majority of students at LSU who are coming back this week and other colleges in Baton Rouge are single as well. And when we began to look at the singleness across our nation, we actually see that even those who get married are beginning to stay single longer. By the year 2020, this is from 2010 to 2020, the average age of people getting married was 31 for ladies and 33 for men. And just to put that into perspective, the U.S. Census Bureau and all that kind of stuff, they did research from hundreds of years about people and all this kind of engaging stuff. And in 1980, the average age was 22 for ladies, 24 for men. And then we see a jump in the 2000s for 25 for ladies and 27 for men. In 2010, 26 for ladies and 28 for men. So it is just really begin to jump up exponentially just in the past few years and right now in the United States, 112 million people are considered single or not married. Now, 12 million of those have admitted they live together, so it's a little bit different than just being single, but actually 56 million adults in America have never been married. So why are we talking about singleness? Well, there's a lot of people who are single. A lot of you listening or watching today are single as well. But another reason is because Scripture, God's Word, talks about singleness, especially when it comes to marriage and divorce and relationships and all that. But even more importantly than just the Bible saying it, Jesus directly engages with it. And like we've said over and over and over in this series, and really what this series is all about, the Creator knows what's best for His creation. I mean... He made it. He designed it. Therefore, we should go to what he says. And we're going to see today what Jesus says about singleness probably isn't what you think it's going to be. It's not that singleness is wrong. And if you're over 30 and you're not married, then something's wrong with you. You're weird. You got the cooties or, or something like that. Not at all what Jesus says. We're actually going to see that being single can mean you can actually live a full, godly and happy life without getting married. The goal of singleness isn't to get married. Jesus makes this point so clear in Matthew 19, it almost sounds like he's anti-marriage, which is actually what his disciples think he means. So to understand God's design for singleness, we're actually going to look at three myths, kind of like we did last week with sexuality, that we see in the culture and the church about singleness. We're going to bust them up like myth busters, and then we're going to look at the truth that Jesus actually shows us about singleness. And just just an FYI, today isn't just for singles. So if you're married or if you're young, or if you're dating, do not tune out today because if anything, this is more for us as the church as a whole and not just for those of us who are single. And we're actually going to start in a pretty interesting passage today. It's a story of an encounter that Jesus had with a group of Pharisees. Where they were kind of the religious leaders of the day. You might hear bad things about them from scripture and they're kind of trying to catch Jesus in a weird spot here. So he's asked by them about divorce and instead of just talking about divorce Jesus actually shifts the conversation to marriage but actually ends up explaining singleness according to God's design. So let's go ahead and dive into Matthew chapter 19. But before we do, I just want to pray for us because this can be a sensitive topic for many. It can seem like a not important topic to some, but I believe since Jesus speaks to it, we can see it really, really is incredibly important. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray that your word would comfort us today. God, that it would encourage us, but also challenge us in a way to think about your design of singleness. And God, I pray for those listening here who are single, or God, maybe single again, that they would see the hope that you have for them through the gospel of Jesus. And God, for those of us who are married and those of us who aren't single, I pray that we would see our responsibility when it comes to those around us who are single. So God, we just pray that you would be on display. God, that you would comfort, challenge, and do all the things that you can do. And today, you would be glorified. And God, we would leave encouraged. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3 and 4. It says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read? He replied, this is Jesus, that at the beginning, the Creator, he made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother to be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh therefore what god has joined together let no one separate And those are probably verses you've had uh, heard at a wedding before but what jesus is saying here is whenever he's asked about divorce he doesn't just talk about divorce he redirects it to marriage he actually quotes genesis 127 and genesis 224 words and passages we actually dove deeply into in weeks one and two as we talked about marriage but we see jesus goes back to the very beginning and instead of relying on previous church fathers, previous leaders, previous pastors, previous prophets, because we're gonna see the Pharisees will actually mention Moses in a couple of verses, Jesus, is like, we're not gonna to listen to them. We're gonna go back to the one who created it. Because Jesus understands the Creator is the ultimate authority on all things marriage because He created marriage. And Jesus actually gives us here a very kind of streamlined blueprint for human sexuality. Which is what our series is all about. And we see that sexuality isn't based on our wisdom, on our insight, our creativity, or our thoughts or our feelings, but actually on God's design. And just to remind you of marriage's design, and this would be a little review if you've been here for a couple of weeks, but if you're new here, this is kind of what we've walked through the past couple of weeks. Marriage is designed for one woman and one man for life, the flesh becomes one and is not to be undone and it's a very high but also very costly calling and we discussed this the first two weeks of the series it's amazing it's beautiful it's an incredible gift from the lord but it's also extremely costly and extremely difficult and as jesus began to explain this to the pharisees his disciples the 12 guys who would followed him everywhere they were listening to this conversation and they began to understand the weight of what Jesus said. And this was their response in verse 10. Look at what they said. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Like in other words, they're saying, dang Jesus, if it's this hard, then I'm out. I mean, and some of you might be feeling that same way right now. And if these are the rules, then I don't want to play the game. Or you maybe don't want to play because your spouse cheats both Metaphorically and literally, pun intended there, but we might not want to play the game because it seems too hard. But look at Jesus' response in verse 11. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. And Jesus clarifies something very, very incredible here. He doesn't back down from his strong stance of supporting God's design. If anything, he kind of doubles down. He affirms that indeed marriage is hard. And really it's not for everyone. And I do want to want to clarify here, even though marriage is a gift given to certain ones and it is difficult, that doesn't mean married people are actually stronger than single people. It doesn't mean that whatsoever. It's just that one of us is called to singleness while others are called to marriage. So if not all are to be married, what is the alternative? It's either got to be one way or another. According to God's design, what is the other way if we're not called to marriage? Well, obviously by today's title, it's Singleness, But it's not just singleness. It's actually singleness with something attached. And that is called celibacy. Now, before you click off and change tabs, all that kind of stuff, just hang with me. We're going to dive into that and see what Jesus means by that. So Matthew 19, verse 12, says, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now this is incredible. And Jesus outlines kind of three different types of people here. Those who were born as eunuchs, those who were made eunuchs by others, and those who choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. And if you really want to understand and know what a eunuch is, you can email kevin at thechapelbr.com and he can answer all of your questions about eunuchs. But but really eunuchs are this, eunuchs were the celibate men of Jesus' day. Some were completely emasculated. Either by birth, they were born without certain things and ways they could not reproduce, or they were emasculated by someone else. And this was normally done for, for just an example for those who might be serving a queen. That way there was no temptation, there was no issue. They were able to serve full and wholeheartedly. But in this passage, based on the context, we can see Jesus means more than just emasculated men. He's actually describing those whose physicality or sexual desires causes them to not be able to have God-honoring sex. So whether due to biology, they can't procreate, they can't do a physical sexual act, or whether they are asexual or they have homosexual desires or they have same-sex attraction and on and on, whatever it is that's causing them to not be able to have God honoring sex allows them in Jesus' eyes to be called a eunuch. But also, it's not just the ones who are emasculated either physically by birth or physically by someone else. It also includes those who have set aside the right and the option of marriage and procreation for the sake of the kingdom. And we're going to see a little bit on. Jesus actually says, if you can, do this. Now, the main tension here is that there are really only two options if we're going to live according to God's design. we've kind of attempted a little little sneak peek at this earlier, and that is either marriage, one man, one woman for life, not just any marriage, but heterosexual, God-honoring marriage. And number two is this. It's celibacy. It's a word we talked about earlier, and can we be honest? We we all cringe a little bit when we hear the word celibate. I mean, one, it's just kind of hard to say, but it's so countercultural in our world that it's also really actually become an archaic term. It's like the Dallas Cowboys winning the Super Bowl or skinny jeans still being in style. Like it's just, it seems so old and so archaic because our world and our culture see singleness as an opportunity for freedom especially sexual freedom. I mean, single and ready to mingle and probably even to do the jingle. Like we are ready to dive in and we think singleness is just permission to do whatever we want to do. But what we see after looking at what we did last week, guys, God's gift of sex was designed for one context, heterosexual marriage, man and woman for life. Not heterosexual sex, but heterosexual marriage, a covenant relationship and jesus taught this clearly in matthew chapter 5 verse 28 and matthew 19 4 and 5 and 10 and 12 the ones we just looked at so what what we what we see here is this guys a singleness according to god's design means no sex and i know that can be hard to swallow but singleness according to god's design means we should not have sex and that that brings up the first myth i want us to kind of engage into that singleness Is a burden. Now, many people in our church might think this, probably the church thinking it more than our culture, that we think if we're going to be called to to God-honoring singleness, then that's a burden. We can think that it's too hard both sexually and relationally because let's be honest, celibacy and loneliness, they're really, really hard to deal with. So we think it's a burden and we actually try to push people to marriage, thinking that marriage will just fix all the issues of single people. But it wants to see something. There's a difference between something being hard and something being a burden. I want you to think about this. Working out, exercising, eating healthy, it's pretty difficult. It's pretty hard, but it's not a burden because it has something good coming out of it. There's a difference between being hard and being a burden. But not to mention this, and this is kind of the key here. guys. Jesus, a single and celibate man, not to mention the Lord of everything, he said quite the opposite. And we've come to this conclusion, the the myth which opposes Jesus' view of singleness, that it is way too hard and it's a burden. And we've come to this conclusion because of a really, really big assumption. And a guy named Sam Alberry, a single pastor from the UK, he describes it this way. He says, We can't live without relational hope and sexual expression, experience a life without any potential for romantic fulfillment that it's unfair to demand and it's unbearable to experience. It assumes romantic fulfillment and sex as fundamental to a full and complete life. We assume that sexuality, we assume that relationship is the only way to actually live a fulfilled life. But what we see in Jesus, that is not the case. And to actually say that and to believe that singleness is a burden would actually deny the humanity of Jesus. And undermine everything we believe and stand for as Jesus' followers. And scripture and Jesus' life shows us something completely different. Guys, singleness isn't a burden, singleness is actually a blessing. And Jesus talks about this if you can do it, you should do it. But there's also another single guy in Scripture that talks a lot about this, a guy named the Apostle Paul. We we read a lot about the last couple of weeks the Apostle Paul says about sex and marriage and, and all that kind of stuff. But he's a single guy speaking God's Word about those things, but now he's a single guy talking about single things. And I want to see the blessing he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. There's nothing wrong with, with getting married. And if a virgin marries... She has not sinned, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Some some pretty powerful words there coming from the Apostle Paul. Now here he's kind of continuing the conversation we looked at last week about marriage and sexuality and, and being committed to each other. And what he's saying here is this, those who marry, they're not in sin, but they're going to face a whole lot of troubles. Now I want to be clear, Paul's not dissing marriage here. I mean, he's the same guy that equated marriage with Christ and his church. Like the example of marriage shows us the picture of the gospel and the picture of Jesus and his church. And we dove into that fully in week two out of Ephesians chapter five. He's not dissing marriage at all. He is just realistic and he knows that marriage is quite difficult and there always will be hurt and heartache. Now our world portrays marriage as happily ever after. And if you've been married for more than like 13 seconds, you know that's not the case. Like, thank you Disney for ruining our picture of marriage. I mean, I'm married. I've done over 50 weddings and 200 premarital counselings. I've had many cry sessions in my office, many pained emails and all that kind of stuff. I've got experience with marriage and guys, it is hard. Not just other people's, mine too. It's very difficult. And don't get me wrong, singleness is very difficult as well. But singleness has the blessing of being spared from the unique issues that marriage causes in our life. Now, some common troubles that you might experience in marriage is this, and I know this isn't a marriage message, but I'm trying to show what Paul is talking about when he says we're spared from it. Number one is you really don't like the person anymore. I mean, He's annoying, he eats with his mouth open and smells weird. mean, she's nagging, just wears you out about your dirty underwear everywhere. I mean, this is difficult to live with this person forever if you made a covenant to remain with them for your whole entire life. Maybe something changed physically. I mean, it could be a sickness that caused it, it could be a disability, it could be they just got ugly. I don't know what it might be, but something changed. But it's not just physical change, it's spiritual change, emotional change. Maybe they walked away from Jesus. Maybe they came, it's really emotionally detached from you. They just aren't in it anymore. And that brings heartache and trouble. Maybe they're mixed, missed expectations. Maybe a broken heart. They just weren't the person you thought you married. They got lazy. Now they're jobless. They don't contribute to the relationship. They don't care for you the way you care for them. And then in some marriages you throw in children. Both having children and not being able to brings incredible, incredible heartache. And if families do have children, you got to care for them. That takes time. There's activities. There's development. There's money. Tons of money. But then you might have to deal with the loss of a child. Maybe due to sickness. Maybe due to an accident. But maybe not just a literal losing of a child, but maybe emotionally and spiritually. They depart from their upbringing. They want nothing to do with you. And on the backside, you deal with what we call the empty nest. You come home and it's like, oh, huh, it's just you. Like no one else. It's just you. You're, you're still here. Like, we got to figure this thing out. Now, as I say all of that, I do want you to remember, guys, marriage is indeed an incredible blessing from the Lord. It absolutely is. I would not give up my marriage for anything. But in our fallen world, it does come with cost. In a world that is full of sin, marriage does come at a cost. And too often, as singles guys, we can compare the highs of marriage with the lows of singleness. We can think that the grass is always greener on the other side. And this is why Paul said that he really wanted to spare us from the troubles of marriage. It's why Jesus said marriage is not from everyone. It is truly a blessing to be spared from the hardships that come with marriage. And I love the, the way that, that Sam Alberry says this in his book, Seven Myths of Singleness. He goes, look, I would, I would rather have the lows of singleness than I would the lows of marriage. You maybe you've heard someone say this. It's better to be single and miserable than actually be married and miserable. So there literally is a blessing of being spared from all those bad things. But I get what you're thinking. Yeah, indeed, it's a blessing to be spared from pain. It's a blessing to be spared from heartache. But that doesn't really bring meaning and joy and purpose and happiness to my life. Like, just getting something bad away isn't necessarily a good blessing. Where's the good blessing? Is there anything to singleness that's just not less bad? Absolutely. It's a great question, and there is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, just a little bit further down the page. Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. And I'm saying this, as Paul kind of coming back to the conversation, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, not to make life hard, but so that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. So what we see, guys, is not just are you escaping the burdens of married life or the hardships of married life, you're actually stepping into blessings of singleness. And Paul kind of gives us two things here to look at. And the first one is this, it's increased devotion to the Lord. By being single, you actually have an ability, this capacity to have increased devotion to the Lord. Your time isn't divided between a spouse and a family who needs you and deserve your attention. Your attention can actually be fully on God. I mean, I'm, as a father and as a husband, I'm responsible for my bride, Emily. I'm responsible for my little girl, Abigail. I'm responsible for their physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being as well as myself. Like, I can't hardly take care of myself, much less everybody else. I mean, I'm in charge of taking care of their schedules, their dreams, their ambitions, their wants, their desires, their hobbies. My devotion is divided all over the place. And single life is just much less complicated in that way. Not that it's void of responsibility, not that it's easy, but it's less complicated and less full of anxiety that is caused by the problems of marriage and less anxiety-inducing things. It doesn't mean anxiety's out the window, but it's different when it comes to singleness compared to marriage. And it is a blessing that we get to be fully focused on Jesus. So blessing of singleness is that we can be fully undivided, devoted to Christ. But the second one is this, and Paul hits it this: it's it's freedom. I mean, if you're single you're autonomous you get to do you without being hindered by anybody else I mean within reason especially if you're a follower of Jesus but you can travel you have freedom in finances you have a freedom to do whatever hobby you want go to whatever party you want buy whatever vehicle you want I mean I can't go and get this huge jacked up F-250 man super duty that I've been wanting my whole life because putting a little bitty baby in there might be difficult some of you might be driving a minivan and you're like well, i can't drive a sports car i got 17 kids in the back as a single you have freedom when it comes to that. You have freedom when it comes to what work you want to do freedom with your time freedom with the weekends you got freedom to walk around the house in your underwear if you want to i mean i'm married and do that too so maybe that's not a good example but you have freedom in that you have freedom to spend more time with friends you have freedom to choose the food that you want to eat, the Netflix shows you want to watch. You get to have freedom to put the toilet seat and the toilet paper however you wanna put it. Like there is freedom when it comes to singleness and there's no one that is just super close to you to disappoint you and no one for you to be disappointed by. Now that doesn't mean there's not disappointment in relationships but not to the depth as it would be in marriage. As I want you to see if you're single today there's nothing wrong with you whatsoever. You need to see that singleness is truly a blessing and not a burden. But guys, but above, but above all that, the freedom can actually lead us to another myth. That freedom that is so good can actually point us to potentially a bad direction that we see in our culture, in our churches. And that freedom is this, that singleness makes you self-centered. Now, before we debunk that myth completely, which we're going to, I do want us to see something incredibly important. Even though this myth is not true, that being single does not make you self-centered, it is a great reminder that this is indeed a great possibility because there are dangers that come with being completely free and autonomous. It's an easy trap to fall into. It's an easy trap to fall into channeling our own flexibility and freedom into pleasing us rather than God. We get caught up in the me because that's the only person that we're responsible for. We become that person, the character in Toby Key's song, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about number one, oh my, me, my. That's why I preach and don't sing. But we become consumed with self. And even though singleness doesn't make us self-centered, it is indeed possible. So if being single isn't to serve my own needs, my own desires, my own wants, then what is it for? Like what, what's the whole point of singleness? That's a great question to answer because we see this very clearly in Scripture. That singleness allows us to be Jesus-centered. Singleness allows us to be Jesus-centered. And we kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier, but both Paul and Jesus references directly that singleness gives us the opportunity to serve God and that ultimately that is the purpose of singleness. You as a single person, your purpose is to fully be able to undividedly serve God the Lord. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. And this is a verse we already said, but I want to point out something different. It says, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there were eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live life like eunuchs, look at this, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom, and that's so good that the one who can accept this should accept it. Look at Paul's words, verse 32 and 35 of 1 Corinthians 7. He said, I would like you to be free from concern, but look at this, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, and I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in an undivided of devotion to the Lord. single singleness, that is a blessing that your life can be Jesus-centered. And don't get me wrong, this doesn't happen naturally doesn't happen easy. You don't drift away from me-centeredness and self-centeredness toward Jesus-centeredness. But guys, this is the ultimate purpose of singleness. And it ultimately ties us into the ultimate purpose of us as mankind, whether single or not. I don't know if you realize this, we were created for one purpose, to know God, to worship Him, and enjoy Him forever. And as a single person, You have less things to divide your attention, and you're more freed up to enjoy the ultimate purpose of worshiping and enjoying the Lord. And I want you to hear this, guys. Singleness is really less about what we have to do without and more about what we are free to do. It's less about what we have to do without, but actually more about what we are free to do. And Jesus used the, the kind of this picture metaphor of, of the eunuch, kind of the emasculated God. It's a great picture to have on a Sunday morning listening to church. He gave us this metaphor for this reason, because a eunuch could have complete unhindered loyalty to the king or queen. There was nothing to distract, nothing to cause desire, nothing to get them off track. And singleness works in the same way. It allows us to have this with Jesus. Not that we you know, need to be snip-snipped and all that kind of stuff, but we are free to love and serve Jesus fully. And so some opportunities or advantages you have as a single to be fully devoted to Jesus are these. I mean, you can be away from home more easily. You have freedom to travel, freedom to engage in mission efforts, freedom and flexibility to be there for other people. You're more available for late-night calls and late-night visits and sickness and support and to be there for celebration for your friends. Now, I do want to be clear. Be very careful to set boundaries. If you haven't read Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend, check it out from the library today order on Amazon. Set boundaries. Don't burn out. Don't be taken advantage of You are not a doormat, but you do have flexibility and ability to be there more often. You have more time to pray. You have more time to serve. You have more time to engage with the word. I want to be honest, coming from a married guy, married people, especially those who are parents, have have like zero free time. At zero, man. You're taking the kids to school. You're going to events. You're going to sporting events. You got bedtime. You got bad time. You got appointments. Yours, theirs, ours. You're prioritizing time with your spouse. You got work trips. You're trying to figure out how can I make all of this happen. But as a single, you might be busy, but you have more freedom, not worrying about the time and needs of the people in your family. But also, you have more freedom to be generous because you're less financially responsible for other people and dependents. It is just you. I remember whenever I was a single youth pastor straight out of college, I think I made like a whopping $21,000 a year. I thought I was rich. Like I was a single guy. I'm like, I am rolling in the dough. I can take people to dinner, man. I can give to my church. I can give to missionaries. Why? Because I was worried about me and that was it. And now I make a little bit more than $21,000, but I don't feel quite as rich because there's so many needs around me. And I say all of that for for this reason, singles, don't waste your life on you. You've been given an incredible blessing, an incredible gift. Don't waste your life on you. And if you want to get married one day or you seek to be married one day, don't waste your singleness on you. Because as followers of Jesus, we're called into something so much bigger than ourselves. I want you to hear me so clear and if you change tabs come back to this right now this is the crux of everything because you as a single you as a single have been given a specific gift to walk with and to serve Jesus in ways that married people like me will never be able to you have specifically been given a gift to walk and to serve and to be around Jesus in ways that I never will be able to do not squander that blessing don't waste your life on you. Use it to engage with the things of Jesus. So the myth is that it's not that not make you self-centered. It can lead you to self-centered, but it doesn't make you that. It actually allows you to be Jesus-centered if you step into that blessing. Our last myth is this, and this is kind of kind of the big ringer for many of those of you who are single and you're wondering about this. And the myth is this: the singleness means no intimacy. Singleness means no intimacy. Now this is a huge point of tension and a huge worry and a huge question for singles. As a single who follows Jesus, who is seeking to honor the Lord with my body and with my life, do I ever have a chance at intimacy? And before we really dive into that question, I want to kind of walk through and delineate the difference between sex and intimacy. And if you were here last week, this will be just a little short review, but I want to share, guys, what could be a complete paradigm shifting for you both as a single but also as a married couple. Guys, intimacy and sex overlap, but they're not the same thing. Sex is not what causes intimacy. It is not the driving force. Godly sex within heterosexual marriage, mutual submission, giving instead of getting like we talked about last week, it is born in. Out of intimacy, out of a deep personal, relational, and really a spiritual connection, sex is meant to deepen and affirm intimacy within the context of marriage, not create it from scratch. Sex is simply a culmination of that intimacy, and, and in other words, it's, it's like this: you can't have godly sex without intimacy. You can have sex without intimacy, but it's not going to be godly sex. But you can have intimacy without sex. Because intimacy is so much deeper than just a physical union. And the thing is, when we live according to God's design as a single, yes, sex is removed. We're going to honor the Lord with our body and our life as a single. Sex is removed out of the equation while we're still single. But intimacy is still possible. Intimacy is still possible because this is, this is so hard for us to kind of wrap our mind around and comprehend because in our culture today, we have so linked sex and sexuality to intimacy that we can't imagine a deeper intimacy within the context of something that is not sexual. And I want, I want you to hear me so clearly, guys. If you're single, whether by choice or you're still seeking a relationship, hear me out. You still have a chance at intimacy. Whether you can have sex or not, that's not the issue here. The issue is you still have a chance for intimacy. Now, I want to speak to a specific crowd. Actually, I'm going to speak to the whole crowd, but I want to address a specific idea or thought when it comes to singleness and when it comes to intimacy. Now, I'm going to kind of do a little sidebar here, and then this is I'm going to talk about um, what it looks like to be same sex attracted. Now if you experience same sex attraction, that means you're a man, you're attracted to man, you're a woman and attracted to a woman, and you still want to honor God, you still want to honor him. I want you to hear me very clearly guys, that is still possible. and intimacy is still possible for you. I want to be very very clear in church. I want to be very, very clear for you to listen to as well. Being same sex attracted is not a sin. I'll be very clear. Being same-sex attracted is not a sin. I know that might be paradigm shifting for some of you. Some of you might be throwing stuff at the TV right now. I want you to be very clear. Same-sex attractin- attraction is not a sin. It is an effect of sin's marring of our world. It itself is not a sin, but, hear me very clearly, but acting upon it is. Being attracted to the same sex is not a sin. It's an effect of sin on our world, but acting upon it, that is what the sin is is. Let me illustrate it this way. Me being attracted to another woman who is not my wife is not a sin. Me thinking a lady is beautiful is not a sin. But if I stop to look, and if I engage in flirting with her, if my mind begins to wander, and if I lust, and if ultimately I become one with her, every single one of those steps was sin. Me being attracted to her, not sinful. Me acting upon it, that is where sin enters into the equation. It's just like someone who is disposed to alcoholism. Wanting a drink, that isn't the problem. Giving into the temptation and the sin of drunkenness, that is where the issue is. Guys, we are to desire Jesus and holiness more than our flesh. And if you're still struggling with this, I I wanna put it this way, guys. Having temptation is not sinful. Because if that was the case, once we came to know Christ, all temptation should be removed. And it's not. We're still tempted to do things. It's the choice to enter into the temptation that makes it sinful. But even thinking about it this way Hebrews chapter 4 describes how Jesus was tempted in every way whenever he was in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. So, what, what does that mean? If temptation itself was sin, that would mean our Savior wasn't sinless and couldn't be our Savior. Temptation is not the sin, it's what we do with it that causes us to step into darkness. So I want to be very clear here, guys. If you experience same-sex attraction, I want, you to do, I want you to do this. Fully seek the Lord. Fully seek Him with all you have. Many of you have been doing this for years. Fully seek Him with everything you have. Ask Him to remove these desires ask Him to remove these temptations. That's what I do with temptations in my life. I ask Him to remove them. And sometimes, He will. It's unbelievable. You get delivered from it. And other times, He won't. But He will always be good and He will always give us strength to overcome the temptation in our life and to remain holy in Him. Having that temptation isn't a sin, but engaging in it is. But God is always good to give us a way through. So whether you're single by choice, you're single and ready to mingle, and if you are, please come next week. We're gonna dive into dating. Or maybe you're not attracted to the opposite sex, or maybe you're attracted to the same sex. I want you to hear this. You can experience intimacy outside of sex, but you're still called to be celibate. You're still called to not be sexually active. So after all of that, if it's a myth, and then, and then what's the truth? How, how can we actually experience intimacy? All we've talked about is how we can't do it, so how can we? Because This is the truth. Singleness offers in intimacy within community. Singleness offers intimacy within community. Because guys, intimacy is something that we all need. The phrase in Genesis chapter 2 that it is not good for man to be alone wasn't meant just for the context of marriage. We were created out of intimacy, out of the Trinity, and made for intimacy. I want you to hear that. We were made out of intimacy for intimacy. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit had intimacy within Himself, and we were created to need it as well. Intimacy can, can be found, and should be found, and should be experienced through marriage, even though if the only intimacy you have is with your spouse, then you're missing out on a whole different ballgame of intimacy. Because sexual and romantic relationships are not the only source of life-giving closeness. They're not the only source of intimacy. And we need to rediscover that another biblical, godly, Jesus-focused source of intimacy that our culture and churches have completely forgotten. And that's friendship. It's just basic, simple friendship. And the problem is the word friend has gone from a noun with this deep-rooted meaning to now it's simply a verb that is empty because it's just a little click on a page. But what we see throughout Scripture and really Jesus' life and the way Jesus talks about this is friendship is so much more than just a click on social media. And look at the way King David, the guy after God's own heart, the guy that killed Goliath, one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, look at the way he describes his friend, Jonathan. He says, David says, I agree for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful more wonderful than that of women." Now, this is coming from a guy who had multiple wives, and from scripture it tells us they were actually very beautiful wives. Now there's an issue if you have multiple wives, but that's not today's message. But what we see here is David, the guy after God's own heart, the guy who had many beautiful wives, what he shared with Jonathan, his male friend, he felt more deeply connected and deeply intimate with him than he did with any other of his wives. Guys, he would have been sexually active with his wives. He wasn't with Jonathan. This is not what people made it. This is not a homosexual relationship. This is friendship, and he felt deeper and more deeply connected to Jonathan than he did all of his other wives which he was sexually active with. And this shows us something incredibly important. Guys, <laughs> there are needs in our life that can be met by friends that can't be met by spouse. There are things in our life that can be met by friends and not by spouse. I got to go and play golf with a group of guys this past week, which for me is about every four months, um, and I'm about that good to play once every four months, but I got to experience closeness and friendship with them, with those three guys, that I don't get to my wife. Do I love my wife more than them? Absolutely. Do I enjoy her more than them? Absolutely. But there's a different type of connection with them than I have with my wife. That is a type of intimacy. And true intimacy is simply this, to be fully known And to fully know the other. I mean, that means they know what's going on. They know the real you. They know what scares you, what tempts you, what excites you, what grieves you, what makes you nervous. It is somewhere you can truly be vulnerable. And this is what Jesus talks about deeply in John chapter 15, specifically verse 15. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That is the friend that we're willing to give up our life for. And this kind of intimacy for you who are single can and should be experienced with others outside of marriage. Because marriage isn't just friendship with sex, and friendship isn't just marriage without sex. Marriage is a covenant agreement to be some ones. You're one that belongs to one. Friendship is a bond that can be shared with with multiple people, but it's for singles and it's God's design to experience intimacy. It's God's design for you as a single to experience intimacy. So. Where, where, where do we find these intimate friendships? Do we Google how to make an intimate friend? I wouldn't recommend that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it's within the church. If you're looking for intimate, deep friends, that should happen within the body of Christ. It doesn't mean you can't be friends with people outside of the church. Please do that. But what we see, what Jesus teaches us in Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 10, that the idea of family, the idea of family units, and even the idea of marriage is temporary, it's just for this earth. But the family of God is a family. The church is a family that is here, but also for eternity. And this is where I want to stop talking to singles for just a minute. Y'all can still listen. I want to, to talk to my married people who are watching. I want to talk to the, the church as a whole. Now, some of you married people might be depressed right now thinking, I knew singleness was that good. I wouldn't have married him. I wouldn't have married her. You, you can email us. We can get you help if you need that help. But I want to talk to you about singleness for just a second. If you're married within the church, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to be the family of singles. Go and read Psalm chapter 68, verse 6. You have a responsibility. And I want you to hear me very clearly. We are not called to give them a hard time. You hear me? We're not called to give single people a hard time. We're not called to tell them that something must be wrong with them because they're 30 and they're cute and they ain't married. That's not our job to tell them that. It's not our job to hook them up with other people, especially our nephew or our granddaughter. Just quit. I can't tell you how many old women I had and come grab my cheeks when I was youth ministry. You got to be my granddaughter. Like that made me want to run away from the church and they were paying me to be there. That is not our job as the church. We're called not to give them a hard time, but we're called to be their family. We're called to invite them into our family. We're called to invite them over for dinners. We're called to have them over for holidays. Involve them in celebrations. Involve them with losses. Take them on trips with you. Pray for them. Let them pour into your kids. I mean, be wise with boundaries, but let them be with your children. Let them stay at your home. Let them be involved in your life and you involved in theirs. That's what our calling as a church is for Singles. Because if they're going to find community, if they're going to find friendship, if they're going to find intimacy, it's our job to offer it. And this is something that I'm really proud to say my parents modeled greatly for me and my brother. They had a single guy um, that was a friend named John. I'm not making up his name. His name really was John. And he truly became a part of our family and really still is. He went on vacations with us everywhere to New York City, to Washington, D.C., snow skiing. Got tons of fun stories about snow skiing and riding segways and all that good stuff. He's always there for all of our family celebrations, birthdays, graduations, anniversaries. He was a part of our family. We had dinner virtually every Sunday together after church. He was closer to me and my brother than any of our other family members or uncles. And ultimately, John became a mentor of mine. (laughs) In ministry. Why? Because my parents simply made him a part of our family. They invited him in to intimacy. In church, it's very clear. This is our calling as the body of Christ, to seek out and love the singles who are in our midst. Don't wait for them to reach out to you. Don't wait for them to figure out how to hang out with other singles. Singles don't just need singles ministries. Singles need a church to be a part of. Reach out to them, open your home, open your life, open your family to an amazing opportunity to love them, but also to experience love from them. You, as a married couple, you as a family are missing out on a blessing of the Lord if you're not engaging with the singles around you. So married people, off my soapbox, I'm coming back to the singles. Every single... I'm I know, I know this is a lot. I know this is a whole lot to process and go through. Some of this you might have heard before. Some of it you might not have. Some of it you might not agree with. I know some of you are feeling very hopeful. Well, some of you are feeling completely overwhelmed and like something is still missing within you or that's still something wrong with you. But I want to be very, very clear. There's nothing wrong with you. Your worth is not wrapped up in if you're married if you want to be married or if you never will be married guys your identity is in the one who came who lived who died and rose from the dead he said you're worth it and he said that you are his our identity is in Jesus not our marital status our worth is in Jesus not our marital status and this is a reminder, not just for the singles guys, but for, but for all of us, but specifically singles, I want you to hear this. Not only are you worth it, you're actually special. You really are. Scripture is very clear and I hope you heard this today. You are special because you get to experience Jesus in ways that married people don't. I'm jealous of that. You get to experience Jesus in ways that I don't get to. So even if you desire a relationship with someone else, that's okay. But first, grow where you are. Become the person you are looking for, is looking for. We're gonna talk about that fully next week, but grow in Christ first. Because one, if you're seeking a date, two brokes, don't make a hole with a W, they actually make a hole with an H, but become the person you're looking for, is looking for. But more than anything, take advantage of this time, this special gift God has given to you to be undivided and devoted to Jesus. And don't get me wrong, life's gonna be difficult, At times, you're going to be extremely lonely, but guys, Jesus hasn't just given you himself. He's given you his bride. He's given you the church to love and to care for you, but also for you to love and to care for her. So your next steps for for today is this. It's one, just guys, get plugged in with Jesus. Begin to pray. We're going to read His Word. One way to read His Word is just to grab the Chapel Bible reading plan. Ms. Sharon, who's our host today, is going to drop that in the comments. A quick, easy click for you to grab on. We have a resource page and a website under It's Complicated where you can read different books about people who've walked through singleness. We have some podcasts you can look at, some articles you can dive into. Do whatever it takes to plug in with Christ and what it looks like to be single because you have a capacity that I as a married person don't. So plug in with Jesus. Let Him be All that you actually need. But actually, plug in with His bride as well. Come worship with us together. What you're doing today online, get plugged into a community group. Get plugged into a discipleship group. Have close friends, whether they're married or not. I recommend getting connected with married people because kids are fun. And you get to leave them at their house and give them candy. Get plugged in with friends and see that you're worth it. Because Jesus said that you're worth it. Now I want to end today a little bit differently than I normally do. And before I do that, if you have any questions about what it means to get plugged in with Jesus, what it means to follow him, what it means to be forgiven by him, and for him to say you're worth it, and please ask. You can raise your hand in the comments, and Sharon can connect with you. You can email us at connect to or you can go to our website, thechapelbr.com slash yes, and we're going to have that in the comments. You can just click on it as well. We have tons of resources of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But to close today... I want to speak directly to my people who are single. Because church people, you, you got your, your job today. Like, Be married, love your spouse, and love singles. Include them in your life. But if you're single people, I actually want to read a poem over you. And I'm not a poet whatsoever. I found this and wanted to share it with you. I want to read this over you. But then I want to end with what I call a blessing. It's actually a blessing we see out of Numbers chapter 6. So let me read this poem over you and then read the blessing over you as well. This poem says in your seasons of singleness, may God plant within you seeds of the Holy Spirit and water you with the living word. May you bloom, not necessarily to meet the one, but to be the one whose sight is replaced with God's perspective so that the pleasures of the flesh and the unfulfilled desires will flush out, filling your heart with a deep-rooted love. And then from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26, I'm going to pray this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord will turn his face towards you and will give you peace. Father, I pray this blessing over, one, everyone who is listening today, but God, specifically those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ who are single. God, I pray that today your word has encouraged them. God, they would see that you have given them an incredible gift to know you in a way that others of us don't have a chance to. And I pray that they would see that and they would embrace it. God, I pray that you would show them that they are worth it. God, they're not broken, that they're made whole in you. But that takes a step of stepping out in faith and stepping into a relationship with you. And God, for those of us who are like me, God, I pray you give us courage as married people, as people with families. God, to reach out and love the people who are single in our life, to see the stage of life that they're in and love them right where they are at and see nothing's wrong with them, but God, they're actually a blessing to us and to you. So Father, we pray that whether we're single or married, we will all understand and embrace the blessing of singleness. Father, we love you and we thank you for the single guy you sent to us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.